Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anna. We go to the Lord with me in prayer. Father, Lord, thank you for this story and the parable buried within it. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to see. You'd help us to see inside that room where they met. And to somehow see inside the heart of Simon and this woman and Jesus. Father, I pray you'd help us to see our own hearts. Father, there are so many times in my heart it's just like Simon's. And sometimes it's just like this woman's. Lord, I pray you'd help us to walk in newness of life. It's forgiven, grace-drenched, mercy-filled people. Father, I pray for me this morning as I open your word. Lord, I pray I would care more about what you think than what people think. Father, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase, that you'd be honored and glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You know, I hear this, um, and I hear Anna read it again, and I know that, uh, I know in you that I stand before you as Simon. I'm just like Simon. And sometimes on rare occasions, I'm just like this woman that would fall at the feet of Jesus. And sometimes I'm both all at the same time. And so are we all. We're in desperate need of a Savior. Jesus takes us to this place this morning and reminds us of his amazing grace and his rich, deep, deep, deep mercy. The love that comes out of that. I'm reminded of of a guy that wrote the song, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Once was blind, but now I see. But I see too rarely and sometimes quite dim. John Newton wrote that song. John was a, um, a ship's captain, a slave trader. He would uh, take uh, goods from, from the Americas and he would, uh, on, on his ships, he would take them to Europe where he would uh, uh, pick up trade goods there and take them to the coast of West Africa where he would pick up slaves. He considered them trade goods and they were humans, people created in the image of God. And he would take them and he would pile them into the hold of the ship that he was the captain of and he would take them to back to the Americas where he would trade them in for more trade goods. Along the way, uh, John became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would be great to, to think that immediately John ceased slave trading. But if you know his story, you know that's not the case. That he continued that for a couple of more loops. I don't know how many more loops, but a couple more, maybe more than that. Before he became convicted of that sin and ceased that altogether, he was so broken, so broken over his sin. It was years, years as he was dealing with that before the Lord. Later, he did become a, uh, a pastor of a, of a small church and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and forgiveness to others. And he wrote this hymn and, and others. I think of this, this woman that has fallen at the feet of Jesus, and she reminds me of John Newton with her songs of grace and mercy and an alabaster jar that was broken as an ointment of mercy and poured over the feet of her Savior. I think it's important for us to get a grasp of the place where they were meeting and what went on there. When the Pharisee, Simon, invited Jesus to eat with him, we don't know 
We don't know all of what his motives were. We don't know what was in Jesus' mind when he accepted the invitation. What we do know is that Simon's, Simon's motives were, were not pure. Uh, there, was, there wasn't anything good in them. He had quite a lot of disdain for Jesus. In a Pharisee's house like that, there would have been an, a, a central courtyard. And there would have been a table uh, there in the central courtyard where they would have dined. So it would have been Simon, would have been some of his friends, perhaps other Pharisees that were dining at the table in this courtyard. Uh, there would have been a low sofa of some sort around it or cushions, and, and the guests would have reclined on their left side, on their left elbow, and they would have uh, eaten with their right hands, and their feet would have been trailing out behind them because their feet would, would have been uh, would have been seen as something that shouldn't be anywhere close to the table, so it would be as far from the table as they could get them. What's really unique, and which probably does not happen in any of our homes, is that um, people of the city were allowed to come in and observe the conversation. And I don't think they were saying things like, wow, that looks like a great piece of steak. Or did you see those exemplary vegetables? You know, that's, that's not what they were saying. They were in there and they were listening to the conversation. So people would have come in from the open doorway, from the city streets, and they would have crowded around the table listening to what's going on. What Simon would have done when Jesus and the other guests came in is that he would have had a bondservant, a servant of a servant, the lowest servant in the household, would have knelt down at the feet of these, these guests and would have washed their feet, taken off their sandals, and washed their feet with a basin and a towel. Uh, you would have seen uh, Simon uh, anoint their head with a, a, a bit of olive oil. This is a ceremonial gesture of cleanliness. And, and Simon would have put his hand on the shoulder of the guest and leaned in and greeted him with a holy kiss. Now, I'm, I'm guessing that he did that with all of the other Guess, but we know that he did not do that with Jesus, which was an awful sign of rejection and disdain. If you had disdained someone that much, you would never invite them into your home. So Simon has invited Jesus into his home, but has not given him any of the kindnesses that would be due to any guests. It is into this, this mix that Jesus has come and, and, and dared to dine. It's as if he has come in to a circle of, of rabid wolves that want to just trap him and grill him and dig at him. But then what the passage tells us is that a woman, a woman has stepped in. When it, when it says a, a woman has come in, when it says behold a woman, what, what we need to read that as if we could read in the Greek would be behold a woman? Oh, can you believe a woman has come into this room? Because a woman would never enter into such a scene. Never. It, was un, it just wasn't done. It was uncommon. It was, it was worse than uncommon. Never do it. And not just any woman, but, but this woman has come in. Look at verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment 
And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Behold, a woman, this woman, Simon would let her later say that, hey, if he was really a prophet, he would know who this woman is and what kind of a woman this is that is touching him. Disdain. This woman is a woman that steps into this circle of rabid wolves like a, a wounded, bloody, but rescued lamb of God that steps in to stand in unison with her shepherd. Knowing full well that the men that are in that room have the authority and the power to throw her out on the street, to have her beaten, to have her arrested even. And still she goes in to stand with her shepherd, her savior. She doesn't just stand with him. She, she kneels behind Jesus. She lets down her hair. Her weeping, sobbing countenance is a countenance of worship for her king. And she drenches his dirty, dusty feet with her tears. As the tears hit the dirt, the the mud begins to form on his feet and begins to, to run down his feet as, it, as the tears had run down her cheeks. And having no towel, she lets down her hair. Another thing that just wasn't done, a woman would never let down her hair except in the presence of her husband. And this part of the bride of Christ lets down her hair in the presence of her bridegroom. And she wipes his feet with her hair and having wiped her feet his feet with her hair and taking the mud that is on his feet and, and putting it in her hair she proceeds to kiss his feet anoint them with this expensive nard this ointment from this alabaster jar this alabaster jar full of mercy and grace and worship it was this woman that anointed the king of holiness with mercy, with tears and perfume, washing his dusty feet. It was her and not Simon the Pharisee. She was the one that was worshiping her king, her savior, and her friend. How scandalous of an act was that? Well, Jesus, of course, didn't see it as scandalous as all, at all, but, but Simon did. Verse 39, we get a picture of what Simon thought. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You can just, you can just hear the disdain, the mocking that is, that is in his silent, quiet voice. The word touching there, when he says touching, uh, it's the same word that is used for an erotic sort of touching. The implications are pretty clear of what Simon thinks of her and what Simon thinks of what's going on. But, but be sure there's nothing erotic going on here. There's a, a, the, the height of God's creation, humans, man and woman, created in the image of God. 
is the height of his creation, worshiping her creator, the one that has given his life, will give his life for her very soul. There's nothing erotic going on. There's something quite beautiful that is going on. But it was incredibly scandalous. Into this true story, Jesus speaks a parable. Now, this the story and the parable is, is very similar to the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. But I can't tell you any more about that because I promised Pastor Nathan that I wouldn't, and he's preaching on it in a couple of weeks. So I've, I've kept my word, okay? You've got to come, though, when he opens up God's word to the parable of the prodigal sons, plural. There's a lot of similarities that are going on here. The parable that he speaks in opens up in, in verse 40. Jesus says, hey, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And Simon, probably with a whole lot of pride, <laughs> say it, teacher. I can handle this. I can handle you. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So one of them owed 10 times more than the other one. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love you more? And Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, you have judged, you've judged rightly. The debts are, both debts are forgiven. The one that owes 50 denarii and the one that owes 500 denarii. He doesn't, he doesn't ask which one's forgiven. Jesus tells him that. What Jesus does ask is, Simon, which one's going to love more? And the answer is obvious. The one who has been forgiven the most is going to love the more. Love is a function of, of gratitude in some sense. And so there's gratitude for the forgiveness. There's gratitude towards the Savior. Now there's love for the Savior because the Savior has loved enough to forgive. When the Savior forgives, it's not that he, he, he has done away with sin, it's that he has taken the sin upon himself. So it's not that the sin just ceased to exist. Jesus took the sin and paid for the sin. He didn't just say, hey, it's okay. He said, it's not okay, but I'll take the sin. And the verdict that Jesus gives to Simon is, hey, this, this woman loves me more because she was forgiven more. She wasn't forgiven more because she loved more. She loved more because she was forgiven more. Simon, your love is small, if any, because you don't see a need for forgiveness. You don't see a need for me. You don't see a need for mercy. You don't see a need for grace. We look at Simon, and we look at this, this forgiven prostitute. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you in that mix? Are you more like Simon, more like the forgiven prostitute? Where are you in the middle of that? Well, Simon was a man that at this point in his life, we don't know what he was like later on. He might have become a believer. We don't know. But at this point in his life, he's a very proud, judgmental man. He would have been a man, obviously, that said, hey, I'm good at keeping the law. I know the law. I, I am the law. And in a very real sense, as a Pharisee and part of the ruling class, he really could say a lot of that. In fact, he probably knew more theology than the disciples did. Theology is theosology, study of God. He probably knew more theology, but he obviously didn't know God himself. 
against the backdrop of all of this, we have to remember there's the greatest commandment. Sometimes we just let that go and we, we, we just let it go in one ear and out the other because we've heard it so much. But the Pharisees had asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. To love, love, love your neighbors yourself. This wasn't something Jesus made up in the New Testament. It came from the Old Testament. So this Pharisee would have known that as the greatest commandment after which all of the other commandments in the law and the prophets flowed. Everything Everything in the Old Testament flows out of that greatest commandment. Everything, everything flows out of that. The Great Commission flows out of that. The Ten Commandments flow out of that. Everything flows out of that. So when Jesus is looking at Simon and he's saying, this woman has loved me more because she's forgiven more, Simon knows what's happening. What Jesus is saying is, Simon, you've blown it. You're a law keeper. You're a commandment keeper. You know the commandments probably better than my disciples do. Simon, you haven't kept them. You think you're great and awesome. Simon, you've blown it. You're not keeping what you think you're keeping. But this woman, who probably knows very little theology, she's got it down because she's loving more. Simon knew the law. How are you like Simon? We're all a little like Simon. Sometimes we're a lot like Simon. Sometimes I've been a whole lot like Simon. Sometimes I could be so much better at being Simon than Simon could be. I remember in uh, the church I was planting in Charlotte, this has been about 05, 06, had two families come to me in the same week and tell me they were leaving the church. And I loved both these families, and I was, I was heartbroken, sad to see them go, but I had to almost laugh at their reasons. One family was leaving, I kid you not, because there were too many homeschoolers in the church, and the other family was leaving because there weren't enough. I'm serious. I had families leave the church because I didn't say that Christian school is the only way to go, or homeschooling is the only way to go. I've had families leave because there were too many public schools, students in the church, and too many students that weren't in public school. I've seen it all. I've, I've seen people leave churches because of the color of the carpet. And you think I'm kidding. The church in, in downtown Birmingham had flooded because of a hole in the roof after a hurricane, and, and they had to replace the carpet, and they got in such an argument over the color of the carpet that the church split. That's sad. Simon, Simon, Simon is alive and well in all of us. The things we were willing to judge and divide over, if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. We're all like that. We're all like this this forgiven prostitute in need of Jesus Christ. I just don't know that we love the way she did. She was utterly devoted. Are we utterly devoted? She was utterly devoted even to the point of what she gave. Think about this alabaster jar for a moment. This alabaster jar was full of, of nard, N-A-R-D, this expensive ointment perfume um, that was from the mountains of northern India. Hard to get. And so it would have been worth, uh, one commentator says, uh, about a year's salary 
Um, most commentators would put it today, and, and today is U.S. dollars at about 60 grand, 60,000 U.S. dollars today. Um, so it's any way you look at it, folks, that's a lot of money. And she takes this sealed alabaster jar and she breaks it and she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. Now, this is not the same anointing at Bethany that you see later on towards the end of Jesus' life here on earth. That's a different one. This is, this is different. She's taking this, she is so utterly devoted to Jesus that she takes this prized possession that she has and she breaks it open and she pours it out. She gives him, she gives Jesus all of herself. She pours out mercy on this one, this, this wounded lamb of God, rescued, restored lamb of God, steps into this rabid pack of wolves and says, I will love my Jesus and I will worship you, Lord. Oblivious. Oblivious to the cost. She's utterly devoted to Jesus. Are we so utterly devoted to Jesus that we're oblivious of the cost? They're willing to do whatever it takes. Lord, you can have whatever you want. You can have my life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Are we willing to give him whatever we've got, whoever we are? Everything I am, everything I'm not, Lord, I'm yours. That's this, this woman. The woman, like Simon, is, is a sinner. You know, often Jesus refers to Pharisees, um, in a way that as spiritual adulterers, he refers to, to Israel, and, and not just Jesus' New Testament, the Old Testament, as, as spiritual adulterers. Are you wicked and adulterous generation? Um, we see that several times uh, implied or stated in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So there's this, this bit of spiritual adultery when we have left our bridegroom, when we have left our king, we've left our Lord and walked away, wandered away. So the Simon is there's really no different than this this. This forgiven prostitute. Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every one of us. Or Ephesians in chapter 2. As for you, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. 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 You know what dead's like? It's not like the cicadas that are still singing in the trees. It's like the ones that are on the patio out there that have been stepped on. That's what dead's like. My friends, without Jesus, we're dead and our trespasses and sins. We're, we're like Simon without Jesus, we're like this forgiven prostitute before she had Jesus. Both had sinned, but only one saw their need for Christ. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. My friends, if your faith is in Christ, you too are forgiven. Jesus makes that very clear tie in verse 50. He says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Whatever your sin has been, whatever, whatever, whatever it has been, whatever it's been, your faith has saved you if you believed Christ. It's over and it's done. As far as the east is from the west, he's dealt with it and it's gone. Paul says in 1 Timothy, here's the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 
Paul has said that, of whom I am the worst. But he also says, look, he has come into the world to save sinners. Paul has been saved from his sin. My friend, no matter how bad your sin is, Jesus Christ has saved you and receives your worship. St. Francis says, there's nowhere more wretched and miserable sinner than I. And yet St. Francis had a deep faith in Jesus Christ. So what's, what's the point of this whole passage? The point that Jesus makes that Jesus makes here in this passage that the one is that the one who is forgiven the most loves the most. In this passage, Simon is shown as one that is not forgiven. He's got a heart of judgment. He thinks he's righteous. He thinks he's right, but he's not forgiven. The woman who has readily confessed her sin and the, the one that everyone knows who she is is the one that is forgiven. And so she loves the most she loves more because she's forgiven more are you a simon or are you the woman are you both maybe both at the same time here's where we are here's where we are i think today i've been a believer for almost 42 years I've been a, a pastor for a quarter century. I think Christians in our country are a whole lot more like Simon than we've ever been before. And we justify it. We're a whole lot more like Simon, a whole lot less than this woman than we've ever been before. And it seems to be getting worse. Our pride is high. And our humility is low. Our judgment is higher. And our grace is fading rapidly. Convinced of our rightness in a myriad of places, we're convinced that others are wrong. And if they would just listen to us, listen to me, listen to you, then we would all get it right. We're in this place of being mask optional. But for the last 15 minutes, 15 months, we weren't like that. Christians in our country have divided over masks and we've been right about this and that and social distancing and we've acted like Simon in the place of racial disparities and politics how to heal it all. You know, perhaps we're all wrong on every one of those. Maybe, maybe we are all wrong on all of those. I suspect that we're closer to that than we are to being right. You know, a little humility goes a long way. A whole lot of humility builds bridges of grace. And a whole, whole lot of humility builds uh, the courage to worship Jesus as this woman has worshiped Jesus. My heart grieves at our mutual lack of humility and our lack of love for one another as Christians in our country. 
And I said at the beginning that I'm a whole lot like Simon. I really am. I grieve at my own lack of humility. I want to be a whole lot more like this woman, this radical, scandalous woman with my hair, what little is left, down and wiping the feet of my Jesus, his tears of gratitude and love poured on my cheeks onto his feet. There's so much beauty in this story, so much more beauty in this broken, forgiven, rescued, restored Lamb of God than there is in this judgmental theologian that knows neither the love nor grace of the Father. My friends, my friends, let's leave our Simon aside and let's take up the heart of this forgiven prostitute and bow at the feet of our Jesus together. Father, Lord God, we are in great need of you. Lord, I need you. I need you. Lord, we as a church need you. Lord, as, as a church in this nation, Lord Jesus, we need you. We are so desperately in need of you. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts and heal us from our Simon-like hearts. Father, I pray that you would give us the, the humility, the courage to worship you as this woman has worshiped you. Father, we would love you as you have loved us. And we would love each other in the same way. Because of Jesus. <laughs>